All right. Hey, my name is Blake, and I'm one of the pastor elders here at Christ Community. And uh, last night, Caitlin and I were uh, eating dinner with some of my old professors. And uh, one of them asked the question, what has been your greatest joy in being a pastor? And uh, it was a challenging question. So many things that bring me joy. And uh, the answer that I settled on was I have found more joy in being able to platform and send out other leaders than I ever imagined possible. And um, here at Christ Community, um, our vision is to be a church that plants churches that sends people out um, to, to love God, love people, love the communities that God is sending them to. And uh, sometimes I think um, we can be pigeonholed into the idea that being sent is simply to go plant a church. But today we have the honor and the privilege as a church to pray and send out a couple that has been here since the beginning and a couple that um, is just a model for us in how to love people well. And so would you all join me in welcoming Jason and Melissa McGiff up front here with me. And now some of y'all have been around and freaking out. They're like, where are they going? Where are, they go? where are the McKiss going? They're not leaving Christ Community, guys. It's okay on this one, all right? So um, I got to tell one story before, I, before we tell everybody what you're doing uh, because this is the story that helps it all make sense. Jason, at one point in time, uh, early in Christ Community's days, left his job in the public school system to start a nonprofit called Mentor Shelby Kids. So during that time, he was trying to, he was entrepreneurially starting this thing up, and he was trying to figure out where to office and work, and I remember, uh, it was not long after I'd come to Christ Community, and he came to me and he said, hey man, where do you work? And, you know, we talked through that, and he was like, here's the thing, I just don't like to work at coffee shops because I've got to, like, actually pay for their coffee to use their Wi-Fi, and I was like, bro, it's like a dollar fifty for a cup of coffee, and you get free Wi-Fi, like, it's okay, and he's like, yeah, but that's like money that I have to spend. And if you know the Midkiffs, that's a big deal. And, I, you know, Melissa, after getting to know you, I love you, but I understand why Jason was that way because he didn't want to come home and tell you that he spent $1.50 on coffee. But what's so amazing about that story to me is that it reflects the priority that God uh, has in their life and it reflects the priority of the calling that God has in their life. Because Jason and Melissa, because of the financial freedom and other things, but, but a lot because of the financial freedom, have been able to adopt uh, multiple times. And it is our joy and our honor um, to be able as a church to pray for them and send them out as they go back to China this coming week to adopt another child into their family. <clears throat> so, um, quickly, I would like for you guys to share what's your next... 10 weeks to two weeks, 10 days to two weeks looks like. Yeah, not 10 weeks, she said. Oh, we hope not 10 weeks, right? Uh, and, uh, and then we would love to just pray for you guys as, as you go. Well, first, when we were, right before we walked up here, he was talking about sending someone out. I was like, oh, who's leaving? <laughs> like, I didn't even know that that was, you were talking about yeah. that. I was like, who is it? Is it the Keens? Is it somebody, you know, I was trying to think of all the people who started the church, and so I'm glad that it wasn't anybody that was actually going somewhere uh, but uh, yeah so the next two and a half weeks um, we leave on Tuesday morning 
and uh, we'll be back kind of at the end of the month. And, um, and you know, Melissa, is it's going to work out for her to um, be back before the school year starts. But my school starts on Wednesday, so we leave on Tuesday, and my kids will be without me for the first 17 school days. And, um, and so that's a, a, a concern, but, but they're in good hands with uh, the people that are there. Um, so, uh, but you know, what it'll look like for us is we'll leave on Tuesday, we spend a night in California, and then we go to Beijing uh, the next day, and we spend about four nights there. Then we go to a city called Xi'an, China, which is where Benny lives. Benny's our new little boy. Um, and we'll, be, uh, we'll meet him the day we get there. And um, we'll, be, we'll spend you know, four or five days there. And then we'll leave that city and go to another city uh, called Guangzhou, which is where all the paperwork happens. And we'll spend another four or five days there. And then uh, we spend one night in Hong Kong. And then from there, we will come back and go to about three or four cities before we make it back to uh, Louisville um, a couple days later. So, uh, but um, yeah, so our little boy is, his name is, his official name is Benjamin Thomas Leong Midkiff. Um, his Chinese name is An Yu Leong, and he's two years old, and uh, he's two years, four months old, I think, two years and four months old, and um, we're just super excited Well, I just asked for prayers for Benny, um, because the way that the adoption process works in China is the day that you get the, the child, they basically hand you the child, and he is yours for the rest of the time. So it's very devastating to the child, because they have known their caretakers at the orphanage for their whole lives, and... Um, so to just be placed into somebody else's arms and taken to another place is really hard on them. So if you all will keep little Benny in your prayers, um, because and, and our family as well, because it's, it's very difficult when the child is screaming and <clears throat> not wanting to eat or drink possibly. So um, just keep that, that the next few weeks um, and just be thinking about that and know that he um, hopefully will be really excited by the time we get home, but the first few weeks will be difficult. And my little Elijah, who's from China, is back in the um, childcare right now, and he definitely is a mid-gift because he, is, um, he was asking the workers for string so that he could finish his birdhouse at home because we don't have any at home. And I said, well, we'll have to get some Elijah, and he goes, I'll just ask at church. <laughs> so he's a mid-gift. And I want to say thank you to my mom and dad because they're going to watch our two little ones while we're gone. And, and so pray for them yes. because they'll have to be with the two little ones while... Jo and Josiah's going too, and he's going to be a big help when he goes to China with us. That's awesome. And the other thing that I'm now realizing as I'm up here is Tom and Jonelle have now been mentioned twice in both stores today. So really, we could have just saved time and had them up here. <laughs> Ask them about both things, and, and life would have been great. So... Uh, they're awesome. And uh, now if you didn't want to eat their barbecue meatloaf, you might want to. So <laughs> it's good. So, well, um, I'm going to ask you if you would to do this. Uh, we read in scripture about uh, laying on of hands as we pray and as we send out. And uh, if you're able, I'll just ask if you would, as we pray, to extend a hand where you are uh, towards Jason and Melissa. And I'm going to pray for them as, as we send them out and get ready to uh, 
to welcome in little Benny to your family and to ours as well. So, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And in that picture, you show us what it is to love. Um, and, and Father, we are so grateful that just as you have sent the Son, you send us. And you're sending the Midkiffs across the world to adopt Benny. And uh, Father, we pray that as they go, uh, you would uh, be with them, that you would guide them, that the Spirit would be uh, just tangible and evident to them. Uh, that they would know each step and leg of the journey, that you are there, that you are with them, that you are fighting for them. Uh, Father, um, and I know and just talking with Melissa, that moment when they meet Benny for the first time, we pray that your Spirit's leadership will be all over that moment. God, we do pray for Benny. Uh, can not imagine um, what his first two years have been like, what this moment is going to be like, what his new life will be. And so we just pray that you would uh, be with him. And, uh, God, we pray for great unity uh, throughout this process. God, we pray that as a church, we would continue to lift them up day by day and that you would keep them on our hearts and our minds. Uh, we know from your scripture that when one goes through something, we all go through it together. And so, Father, I pray that you would unite us through your spirit in this. We thank you, God, for sending us. We pray that you would be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Thank you all. Give it up for the Meg Gifts. <clears throat> If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to, to turn to Romans 8. We're in Romans 8 uh, all through August and September in a series that we're just calling Nothing. Nothing. Because Romans 8 is all about the love of Christ that nothing can separate us from. Um, if you're new with us, uh, we put all of our sermon notes in the Bible app. Uh, you can download that on the App Store and uh, go to the live events and find Christ Community Church there, and our sermon outlines are there. Um, as we start, and as you find that, uh, I want to say one thing and then um, say another thing. <laughs> First thing is this, that no action that you make, no action you make can keep you from Christ. It's important to be reminded of that. No action you make can keep you from Christ, and no action you take will keep you with Christ. No action you take will keep you with Christ. For those two things are things that only He does for us. And uh, we need to be reminded of that truth as we, we begin. Uh, for, for me personally, here's the second thing. It's, it's good to be back. Uh, I've, I've been here and around. Uh, we've had a couple of guys uh, step in and preach. Caleb, as he gets ready to, to launch Christ Community Church in Henry County with their team. And Daniel preached last week. We had a Love Shelbyville Day in there where we went and served. And uh, in that time, I've been working on the final stages of a master's degree, a little bit of a, a life update. Uh, it's a distance degree, and this summer, um, I've had to travel quite a bit to get it finished up. And I, I need to say, I have a new appreciation for men and women who travel a lot for work, because traveling is hard work. And, um, you know, as much as I've learned in those classes, I think I've learned more than anything else, that there is one job that can never be taken away from me. It's the job of being husband to Caitlin and dad to, to Tinley and Preston and Magnolia. And um, so as much as anything, I've learned that I want to get better at that job. And uh, that brings me uh, all the way back around to a question as we start, and that is, have you ever been in a situation where 
someone has a job and you can tell that no one is taking that job away from them. Have you ever seen that or been a part of that? Someone has a job and you can tell that no one is taking that job away from them. I served, the first church that I served in, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, we served donuts every Sunday. This is really a passive story to get somebody to serve donuts at Christ Community every Sunday. No, I'm kidding. But at that church, we served donuts every Sunday. And most of the time, it was regular Walmart donuts. But every fourth Sunday, here's the other thing. If you've been here, you know that I've got a thing for donuts. It's, it's just, it, it is what it is. But every fourth Sunday, we had Spalding's Donuts in Lexington. If you've ever had Spalding's Donuts, I know my, the Leonards, they know. They know. These are good donuts. I mean, you think hot Krispy Kremes? They're different, okay, they're different, but they are as good, all right? These are good donuts, but we only had those anyway, regardless. There was a guy, a guy we will call Larry. Larry was the first guy to church every week. He beat the staff every week, and he was the donut guy. Larry was the donut guy. No one dubbed him the donut guy. Being the donut guy was never a leadership position that others voted on or aspired to. There was no donut team. Larry was just the donut guy. And everybody knew that Larry was the donut guy. And so uh, I walked into church one morning. I was early for a change. And uh, I headed to the, to the church kitchen to see if Larry and the donuts were there yet. And when I walked into the kitchen, I find Larry standing at the stove with an apron on, frying something. Making conversation, I nonchalantly ask, Larry, you making some eggs before everybody gets here for the donuts? And with zero expression on his face, you had to know this guy, he turns and he looks at me and he says, nope, I'm frying up the frozen donuts from last week. I'm not sure what the emotion on my face was that day, but I was like, do what? Frying up the donuts that I froze from last week. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's like, I do it every Sunday. <laughs> wow. Wow. So after that, I never ate the Walmart donuts, just the Spaldings. Like, I know that was, like, that was the only time to eat donuts because on other Sundays, there were frozen fried donuts that Larry was serving to us. Larry was the donut guy. <laughs> no one was taking that job from him. Uh, he and Melissa Midkiff would have been good friends, apparently. Very frugal. Very frugal with the donuts. And, uh, you know, I, I recognized that truth that day that there are some jobs that no one is ever going to take away from people. And no one was ever taking the donut job away from Larry. Today, as we read our passage in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, the first thing that we have to realize is that there is nothing we can do to take the Spirit's job away from Him. The Spirit is just as passionate about His job as Larry was about frying donuts. And so as we read this passage, we want to think about, first of all, as we begin today, what the Spirit's job is. And so if you would, follow along with me, Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, and we'll pray for our time in the Word. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we open your word this morning, that the Spirit would come in and help us to understand, help us to apply to our lives how we live by the Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is nothing we can do to take the Spirit's job away from Him. So what is the Holy Spirit's job? As the third person of the Trinity, what is his job? Well, this passage teaches us a lot about the Spirit, uh, but there's some other things that we read in Scripture that are, we want to consider really quickly, some things to think about. What is the Spirit's job? So five things really quickly. One is he convicts us. He convicts us. In uh, John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking about the coming of the Spirit, and he says this. He says, when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the first thing that we see about his job is that he convicts us. But we also see that he reveals Christ. He reveals truth to us. We read this in uh, 1 Corinthians. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I think we've got that. uh, Let me get that quotation since we didn't get it pulled up. What's the next slide on there? 1 Corinthians 2.10. He's revealed these things to us by the Spirit. So he convicts us. He reveals truth to us. He also imparts eternal life to us. We read also in John uh, chapter 6, verse 63, the Spirit is the one who gives life. This is Christ saying this about the Spirit. He is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and are life. And then we come back to our passage for today and we learn two additional things. We learn that the Spirit kills the old you. He kills the old you. He kills the deeds of the flesh. And then He ultimately makes you an heir to the kingdom of God. He makes you an heir to the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit convicts you. He reveals Christ to you. He gives you eternal life. He kills the old you and He makes you an heir to the kingdom of God. And you're like, okay, this is great. Five bullet points. That's awesome. Here's the problem. Too often, we try to take over for the Spirit. We try to take these jobs that are the Holy Spirit's, we try to take them away and and think that we can do them ourselves. We do the opposite of what this passage says in verse 12, and we begin to obligate ourselves to our own flesh. Look back at verses 12 and 13 with me. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated. And yet so many of us, in the way that we live, we obligate ourselves to the things that we can accomplish. We obligate ourselves to the things that we feel like we can do. The truth is, there is nothing that we can do to take the Spirit's job away from Him. In that church, no one was going to fry donuts like Larry did. 
And in the same way, no one is going to convict you or reveal to you or give life to you or kill the old you or make you an heir to God's eternal kingdom like the Spirit will. No one will. These jobs are his alone. But for some reason, for some reason, we're crazy enough to try. We obligate ourselves to our own flesh, to what we can do on our own. Magnolia is my youngest. She's one, and she loves granola bars. Loves them. One of these for breakfast just about every day. And so one morning, we're sitting on the back porch, Saturday morning, everybody's chill, everybody's relaxed, and I take one of these granola bars, and I unwrap it, take it out, say, here, Magnolia. And in an instant, my one-year-old is laying with all four appendages straight out, face down on the porch, screaming. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? I mean, she flopped down, she's screaming. Occasionally, she would stop. She would look up at the granola bar that I was holding out to her as a peace offering, and then she would throw her face back. Ah! I have no clue what is going on at this point. So we go through several rounds of me trying to figure out what's wrong before I give up. And I took the granola bar and I put it back inside of the wrapper just like this. And I set it down beside me. And Magnolia looks up. She sees the granola bar. She grabs the granola bar in the wrapper, peels it back, and begins to eat the granola bar. But you love children. They're great. Tom and Jonelle, we're praying for you. And that scene reminds me of my attitude towards the Spirit of God. It's not that I don't want what the Spirit has to offer. It's not that I don't want to walk with the Spirit. It's not that I don't want the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, coming from my life. It's not that I don't want those things but you just don't understand. I want to do it myself. I want to be the one that makes those things happen in my life. I want to be in control of not just the granola bar, but the wrapper too. Just getting the bar is not enough. Thank you for all these things you do for me, Spirit, but this is just not the way that I want it. Now, I hope, I pray, that I'm not the only one who has these kinds of moments. Because I believe that many of us have them, right? We try to take the Holy Spirit's job in our lives way too often. We only want to be convicted when it's convenient for us to be convicted. It's convenient to be convicted when I'm sitting in church on Sunday morning. But when we want to have a good time or we're afraid to face the consequences of our sin, we'd rather just hold off on the conviction. Easy there, Spirit. We'd rather not learn more about God's truth. I mean, if I know enough to get me into heaven, that's enough, right? And to that, I ask a really logical question. If you want to spend eternity with someone, wouldn't you want to be learning everything you could about that person? I know I would. Even our consumer culture trains us to believe that if we want to have eternal life, we can just get it for ourselves somehow. I mean, 
I wonder what prime shipping on eternal life costs. But that becomes our approach even to our spirituality, right? That we can just do something, we can touch a button, and two days later, we're going to have it. It's going to be ours. I'll just pick up some overtime at work to make sure that I can afford eternal life. It becomes our attitude towards eternal life. Something for us to get or to achieve rather than a gift from God. And as for killing the old sinful me, another job of the Spirit, right? Well, I'll just take care of that when I'm good and ready. But until I'm ready, how many of us fall guilty of this? I'll manage my own image. I'll stay in control of what others think of me. Folks, we're way too busy trying to take the Spirit's job. But the reality is, is there's nothing that we can do to take it from Him. From our perspective, we've got everything under control. Who needs the Holy Spirit when we can do the job for Him? But from God's perspective, He's offering us His kingdom. Co-heirs in His kingdom. And we're kicking and screaming, telling Him to put the wrapper back on so that we can do it ourselves. When we begin to think in these terms, we realize that this sounds pretty foolish. But the good news is that our foolishness is eliminated by the foolishness of the truth of the gospel. Because while in verse 12 many of us want to obligate ourselves to the flesh, we read in verse 13 that we don't have to. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You die to live. The gospel truth. And we forget so often that Christ models for us how to die so that we might live. Paul transitions from this verse in 13 and he goes to 14 and 15 where we read this. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the question becomes, how do we read this passage? How should we read this passage? We read, well, okay, if I have God's spirit, then I'm God's child. Check. That's a really easy one in verse 14, right? That makes sense. And if I'm a child of God, fear of what enslaves me, my sin, that's what enslaves me, fear of sin should not be there. If it's there, there's something wrong. And, and then in, in the last part, instead, I should remember that I've been adopted and that makes me cry out to my dad in multiple languages. That's the application, right? I should cry out to God and, and call him dad in multiple languages. Abba, Father. No. That last part's a little off. Because you see, Paul is pointing us back to a really, really significant moment. An incredibly significant moment. It was the moment that you and I's adoption as God's children was hanging in the balance. You see, God sent his son, Jesus. He came and he lived the perfect life. He lived the perfect life. And near the end of that life, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has gone to turn him in wrongfully as a criminal. And he's praying. And Mark, in his gospel, records this prayer of Jesus. He writes in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus' prayer. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. 
You see, in that moment, through prayer, Jesus decides that instead of avoiding the arrest or by-stepping the beatings, he will defeat death by taking on the cross. Why would he do that? Well, you say, well, it says clearly here, that was God's will. He was just doing God's will. What was God's will? God's will was not that Christ would die. God's will was that he and you and I would live eternally as co-heirs in his kingdom. And knowing that his will was that we would all live together as co-heirs in his kingdom, he knew that the only option was to send Christ to the cross to pay for our sin. That's why Jesus did this. And so when Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that by the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. He is looking back to this moment when Jesus decided to endure something unthinkable, something unpleasant, something terrible. He decided to move forward with that so that you could join him in God's kingdom forever. You see, Christ didn't just share his inheritance with you. He died to make sure that you would be a part of it. Jesus lived in a time where inheritance was different. Fathers of families would choose one son to give their inheritance to. It wasn't like today where you add everything up, turn it into cash, and divide it evenly. Only one son got most everything, if not everything. And so just the simple fact that Jesus would share his inheritance is, is incredible. It's a great grace. But he went beyond. He died so that you could be a part of that inheritance too. That's the good news of the gospel. That Christ didn't just die for you because he had to, but because he wanted to. You know, one of the things that has shaped my life is being brought up on a sheep farm. God used that experience to call me into ministry, helping me to see that I was called to shepherd his sheep and not mine. Later in life, I learned something really incredible about the farm that I grew up on. Um, the farm that I grew up on was ours because of an inheritance that was completely unexpected. My mom was the youngest of four children, and her dad had a brother, Earl Potts. Earl Potts. <laughs> Earl Potts was my mom's uncle, my great uncle. I never knew the man, never met the man. He became a successful lawyer in Los Angeles, California. He was married to a woman who decided that she never wanted to have any children of her own. And that destroyed Uncle Earl. It destroyed him. And unbeknownst to anyone in the family, he had taken his life's work, the results of, of everything that he'd done, his inheritance, and he had given portions of it to my mom and her three siblings. And so it was much to her surprise when Uncle Earl died that she got the phone call letting her know that that inheritance was hers. 
My mom and dad weren't sure what to do with it. They invested it. When that farm that I grew up on became available, they purchased it. An unexpected inheritance from a man I never knew that shaped my life forever. And I can't help but think that it's yet another great picture of the gospel to you and to I. That God has given us an unexpected inheritance. Based upon our stories without God in them, we would never expect to be heirs to the kingdom of God that is eternal and lasts forever. We would never expect that. And yet in His grace and in His mercy, and unbeknownst to us before we were ever alive, He sent His one and only Son to make sure that that inheritance would be ours. Jesus doesn't just share His inheritance with you. He died to make sure that you could receive it. So Christ has given you inheritance in the greatest kingdom of all time, that will last forever, but how does that change the way you live today? I mean, how does that change anything? You have to let the Spirit kill what's killing you. That's what this passage implies to us. That you have to let the Spirit kill what's killing you. We've got to, church, learn how to walk with the Spirit. We have to learn to let Him lead our lives, to guide every step not just selected ones. When I meet people today, when I listen to people's stories, when I hear of the distractions and the busyness and the temptations and, the, and the, all the difficult things they're facing at work and, and being a parent is hard and all of these things, I empathize. But I so quickly yearn that all of us would begin to walk with the Spirit in such a way that we didn't heap all of those things on our own shoulders, but that we began to understand that we're walking with the Spirit, and when we're walking with Him, He is the one who will give us strength. He will do His job to carry us through to the inheritance that Christ has already guaranteed to us. So how do we let the Spirit kill what's killing you? How do we begin to walk with Him? How do we begin to walk unburdened in that, that life that He has for us? And I believe that it begins right where Christ left it in verse 15. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so it begins in the same place that Jesus did, on our knees, in honest, agonizing prayer. Because you don't outgrow calling out for your dad. You don't outgrow that. The challenges may change. The difficulties you're facing, are, they're going to be different. You're going to suffer in different ways all throughout life, but you must continually come back to that moment of honest, agonizing prayer, just as Jesus did in the garden. And so today, I want to ask you, very practically, to fill in the following blank. God, I don't really want to give up blank. God, I don't really want to give up blank. That's the prayer of Jesus in the garden. Father, I don't really want to go die on the cross. That sounds terrible. And in honesty, in an agonizing prayer, he's able to say that to his father. I don't really want to give this up. I don't want to give up my life. But if that's how we get to the kingdom, if that's how we get to what you have for us, 
then that's what I'll do. So what goes in that blank for you? Ask the Spirit in this moment, Spirit, what goes in that blank for me? What are the things that I don't really want to give up? It begins in honest, agonizing prayer. And there's two things coming out of that prayer that you must do when you let the Spirit kill what's killing you. Number one is to remember who the Spirit says you are. Remember who the Spirit says you are. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself testifies together with with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. I love the phrase, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Because you see, this debunks so many of the things that we try to use in getting through. This can't be some self-motivation pep talk that you give yourself every day. Because that may work for a day or two, but eventually that won't work. How many of you have seen the movie Cars? Any of the movie Cars? Lightning McQueen, right? What does he say to get himself ready? I am speed. Some of you all have little boys and you know it better than others. He says, I am speed. And that's really great self-motivational speech. Until Cars 3, when he says that and gets out on the track and all the younger, faster cars are faster than him and he has no longer speed. Too many of us are trying to get through life that way. I am... Fill in the blank with who you think you are. Until you're not. You're like, I don't know who I am anymore. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. You see, you can't talk yourself into your own identity. Instead, you affirm what the Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are God's children when we are led by the Holy Spirit. So when we start our days with simple prayers like, God, I don't really want to give up blank, but I know that that's what your Spirit is leading me to do, everything changes. Because in that moment, the Spirit reminds us that we are God's children. When we, are to, when we honestly come to Him in prayer, God, this is what I really don't want to give up. But I'm going to because I know that's what the Spirit's leading me to do. The Spirit says, you know what? That's awesome. And let me just remind you that you are a child of God. And being a child of God is what's going to help you lay down whatever that thing is. And when the Spirit reminds us of that, then we get to affirm, I am a child of God. This This picture is the spirit of adoption. That is the spirit of adoption. Let me show you a picture of a young lady. This young lady's name is Guya, and she is pictured there with her father, Mike. Guya was in our first youth group. She went to church with Larry, probably ate some of his fried donuts. Guya was adopted by Mike and Becky, uh, when she was a teenager, she was uh, adopted. And, like, we we're the high school ministers, and uh, she came into our youth group, like came from the Ukraine as a teen, came into their family, and uh, it's, uh, she's become a good friend, a, a beautiful picture of the gospel. And uh, this is a picture of her on her wedding day, obviously. And she's dancing with her dad. And that is her dad. She reposted this picture not too long ago. 
And her comment was this. She said, I love this picture. Thank you for giving me such a beautiful life. If it wasn't for you both, if it wasn't for you both, I would probably have never been in a situation that I am now. You both are my whole world. Can't wait to make you grandparents. Do you see it? That as Mike and Becky brought Gruya into their home, and as they called her their own, and as they named her and affirmed her as their daughter, Gruya over time was able to affirm that that was who she was. I am the daughter of Mike and Becky. Not only that, but my children are now your grandchildren. And that is what it means that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. It is not up to us to just declare who we are or our identity. It is up to us to walk with the Spirit, and then the Spirit affirms that we are God's children, and we get to say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am walking with you. And so if the Spirit is going to kill whatever it is in your life that's killing you, you have to remember who you are. And you will only remember who you are when the Spirit affirms it in your life. Number two. You have to endure the process of killing what's killing you. The reality is is that killing sin is a difficult and long and messy process. It's hard. And so when the Spirit begins to work in our lives and kill the sin that's killing us, it's going to take some time. It's going to be messy. There is going to be suffering involved. And it is in that spirit that we read verse 17. Paul writes, And if we're children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. If indeed we suffer with him. This is really, really interesting. Does this mean that God wants us to suffer? Is Is that what this means? I don't think so, and let me explain why. This word, suffer with, is actually one word in the Greek. It's only used one other place in the entire New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. And there it says that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. You see, it's only used in these two instances because the idea is that this suffering is a, a communal suffering. It's something that we do together. It's not just suffering for suffering's sake. The idea is that we are understanding that we have been brought into the body of Christ to endure the process together. It means that you can take comfort in the fact that as the Spirit kills sin in your life, you recognize that Christ is with you through your suffering. And in fact, he suffered for your sins, so he knows all too well what you're going through. But it also implies that when you endure the process of killing what's killing you, you don't do it alone. Because when one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body suffer. And even that, right, is good and bad. Because in that, it's a stark reminder that our sin, as members of the body of Christ, as as members of the local church here in Shelbyville, Our sin as members of that weighs heavily, not just on on us, but on those that we walk with. But it's also the great comfort that I can't walk alone to this battle with sin. You say, Blake, okay, I, I get it. Like, if I sin by saying something mean to someone, I understand how that hurts someone else. But what about those sins that, what we call maybe sins of omission? 
What about when I don't do my part or I don't show up? Or what about something that it just happens in my home and doesn't really affect everybody else? And to that I would say, have you considered that the lack of your presence in a community group, the lack of your presence with the other believers in Christ, it may be impacting them far more than what you could have ever imagined. Because God could be using you to encourage them. See, when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. This passage does not mean that we should be seeking out suffering. It doesn't mean that we should want bad things to happen to us because that means we're doing the right thing with Christ. It means that when we suffer, we are supposed to be suffering together. Now what I don't mean in the same light is that you're supposed to be having this word vomit of all your battles and all the terrible things in your life. What I do mean, however, is that you are not to be pulling out of community when the going gets tough. That's letting Satan win. It's letting Satan win. Two really practical ways to deal with that. One, you saw Kenny up here with some community group leaders. You're going to continue to see that because uh, beginning in the end of September, we're going to uh, launch several community groups. And uh, maybe you're like the mayors and God's asking you to just start one. Did you know that if you get two other people, you just became a community group leader? It works, right? We need each other. And you need to be engaged with that process. But two is this, something called the Friend Initiative. Starting on Wednesday nights, August 28th, we're going to go for four weeks. And we're just going to work really practically through what the Bible says and, and about how we do this practically to learn how to be friends again. How do we actually build real relationships with one another? Because everything we have today seems to be so surface level. How do we actually press through those things and build relationships that last so that when the suffering comes, we can actually suffer together. If the Spirit's going to kill what's killing you, you have to endure that process, and that only happens together. But the good news is that when you let the Spirit kill what's killing you, you not only live, but you give life. You know what was killing Jesus? The thought of not being able to spend eternity with you. That's what was killing Jesus. And when he learned that the solution was dying on a cross, shedding his blood to cover your sins, it was distressing. It was stressful. And so he kneeled down in the garden and he said, God, I don't really want to give up my life. I don't really want to die on a cross. Abba, Father, but I'm going to let them kill me because I can take up my life again. And when I do, I can offer life to all those who are your children all those who are led by the Spirit. And then nothing can separate them from my love because their sin will be paid for. So what's killing you today that you need to let the Spirit kill in you? Maybe it's the pride of thinking that you've got this and that's kept you from ever giving your life to the Lord because you've got it. Maybe it's the fear of the consequences of your sin that have caused you to, to push everything into the darkness and they've kept you from truly walking in the light. Maybe it's the shame of what you've seen or experienced that tells you that you can never be a child of God. And to all those things, I would lovingly say, there's nothing you can do to take the Spirit's job from Him. You don't get to decide those things. Let the Spirit kill what's killing you. 
today as the band comes and as we respond to the gospel, if you need to give your life to Christ, I'll be available to you in the back. And I'll be with you as you give your life to him to die so that you might live. If you need to pray with someone, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to be the leader of your life, maybe again. Maybe it's been a season where he hasn't been the leader and you need to give it back to him. We'd be glad to pray with you in the back. And this morning, as we do each week, as we take communion, we remember Christ's blood that was shed for us. And this morning, I'd like to ask us to, to more specifically remember his prayer, the prayer that signaled his willingness to die for us so that we might live. Communion at Christ's community is, is open to all those who have been baptized into Christ as a symbol of their relationship with him. And if you've not been baptized, we'd ask that you'd consider it today. Would you die to yourself so that you could live with Christ? The Spirit is calling you to come and to lay down your life so that you might truly live in Him. Let the Spirit kill what's killing you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would continue to write truth, reveal truth to our hearts and to our minds. Call us back, convict us, remind us of your place in our lives as believers. Father, as we give ourselves back to you, I pray that you would continue to remind us that we are children of God and heirs in his kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.